Heavenly Father, thank you that we can be together as your people at church this morning. Thank you that uh, as we hear your word, you'll be at work by your spirit in showing us more of your son and showing us more of what it looks like to follow him. And we pray for your help in this, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, one of the strange ways that my family likes to communicate, and yours might be similar, is they like to try to tell me things based on what other people are doing. Uh, I noticed this a lot during COVID. Uh, as my brother or sister started to do particular things, like wearing certain types of masks or avoiding certain shops, mum would tell me by message, oh, so, so you know, Sam, my brother, he's, he's no longer going to Bunnings, just so you know. When mum would say this, she's not just giving me an update about what Sam's doing. Uh, she was trying to tell me something about his mindset that she wanted me to have. That would always extend to things like diet, when my sister or brother would do things, or when my cousin would find out something was wrong. So much of how my family communicates can actually be saying what other people are doing to, in this indirect, maybe slightly passive-aggressive way, <laughs> communicate what they'd like me to do. Now, I don't think Paul's quite like that, but it's a little bit similar this morning. It might feel a little bit jarring as we get into the passage today, and we've had this big teaching about who Jesus is and his mind and all these commands about what it looks like to follow him. And then we get these travel updates about Timothy and Epaphroditus, and you're thinking, how are these as relevant to, as all these other parts have been to our life as Christians? But I think there's a lot going on here. There's obvious updates to the people that are really helpful for them to hear, but I think Paul's communicating to them and to us as a church today more of what it looks like to have the mind of Jesus, the mind that is seeking the gospel in the lives of others and the lives of Christians through what these men are doing and how they are acting. And so I hope you're going to see some more of that as we get into it this morning as we hear more about Timothy and Epaphroditus. Um, and there'll be five things that I'll note along the way that I think are really relevant to us in the way that we approach our mindset of being gospel-hearted people. So as Paul gets into it, he starts off this passage with his hope of sending Timothy to the church. And he gives a few reasons why he thinks it's going to be a great idea. Now, we can't be quite sure what the context is of him talking about this, but it seems most likely that the Philippian church has been asking to Paul to send Timothy to them. And so far, it seems Paul's going, yep, that's a great idea. He starts off in verse 19 with his first reason that sending Timothy would be a mutual encouragement for both the church, and for Paul. He writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. It's obvious, pretty obvious, that by sending Timothy to the church, they're going to be really encouraged by him coming. They're going to be encouraged with news of how Paul is going, that he is doing okay, 
of what's been happening in the church around Paul and of the life and ministry of Timothy amongst the people. That's going to be a big encouragement to them. But Paul is making it clear here that there's a mutual encouragement that would happen through him sending Timothy. In this first chapter of the letter, we saw how Paul was thankful for all the things that God was at work in and through the Philippians, of the times that they've, he's seen their progress in the gospel, in their love, and how God has drawn them together to endure through even the suffering that they're facing now. All this has been fuel for Paul's thanksgiving and joy and prayer, even through this really hard time of being in chains for the gospel, awaiting trial. This action of sending Timothy isn't just about reciprocating the church's call to have him there. Paul's saying it'd be a really good thing to send him because by sending him, he will report back to me all the way that God has been at work in you. There'll be more ways for me to be encouraged and to have joy in the work of the gospel that God is doing in the church there. This reason is that there's going to be mutual encouragement. So that's the first quick one. As he goes over to verse 20 and 21, the second reason Paul gives is that Timothy's going to be genuinely concerned for the church's welfare. Verse 20 says, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. I can't really think of a bigger compliment than that. It's a little bit like for me imagining going into a hospital, it's an emergency situation, and the reception comes out and says, look, this doctor here, all the rest of these guys, they don't really care about you. He's the only one that will care. He doesn't have his own interests in mind. He really wants to help. And now, if I heard that, I'd be a bit worried about the hospital. <laughs> but I think I'd, if it was genuine, if I could really tell that they meant it, that's a huge thing to say about this doctor. And I think it's the same as what Paul is saying here about Timothy. But there's a little bit more to it than that. Uh, in my reading during the week, there's a lot of back and forth that the scholars go into with this passage. They're wondering, is Paul just talking about the people he could send? So when he says that there's no one else like him, it's just this narrow group of people who would be able to go. Um, Timothy's the only one who's actually caring for them. Or maybe he's just exaggerating to make Timothy sound really good. Uh, without getting too sidetracked, I think it's probably a little bit of both. Paul is exaggerating a bit here, but it's in a way to show that Timothy's character is one to be honoured. But on the other hand, he's rebuking the Christians around him and perhaps even the Christians in the church in Philippi about the kind of motivations they have. It's a compliment to Timothy, but it's an indictment on the Christians around him. I hope you noticed that the reason that Timothy would be genuinely concerned for the Philippians isn't actually that he's just really good at caring for people on its own. It's not that he thinks that these Philippians are particularly special even. The Philippians 
would be cared for by Timothy because he seeks the interests of Jesus and not his own. The other people around him are selfish and not seeking the interests of Christ. But Paul's implying that Timothy is seeking Christ. And by seeking Christ and his interests, that means caring genuinely for his people in the way that Christ did. The Philippians are people that Jesus loved and died for. Jesus united them to all of God's people in himself. That's that unity that we've been hearing all about in chapter 1 and chapter 2 so far. United together in Jesus, united with the one spirit in this mind of Christ. Being concerned with Christ's interests means genuine concern for his people. And so ultimately, Timothy is going to be concerned for them and their welfare because he is concerned with Christ. But on the flip side, Paul's saying that the people around him, many of them are not genuinely concerned about other Christians. They seem a little bit like the people in chapter 1 who are preaching Christ, but out of wrong intentions, out of envy and rivalry. Maybe they're caring for people for selfish reasons. They're caring people to lift themselves up, to make themselves seem important, to make themselves be needed and reliable and get influence in the people. Or maybe they're just not even caring for people at all. That's possible too. In either case, it's clear that it's unconcern for Jesus that means that they're not concerned with his people. Timothy's chief concern is Christ, much like Paul, and that means he's genuinely concerned for his people. He wants them to know Jesus better, to keep flourishing as Christians. And so it would be really good to send him to Philippi because he is someone who's going to genuinely care for the people. So far, it's two pretty good reasons. The third reason that Paul gives is the way that Timothy has served him faithfully with the gospel. Verse 22 says that, You know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Timothy's been at Paul's side for years and years, faithfully serving together with him the gospel of Jesus. Paul says that the Philippians already know about it, and I assume that's why they're asking for Timothy to come. He's someone that's reliable and faithful and is going to be at work powerfully amongst them with the gospel if he comes. But rather than just leave it there, they already know he's so good. Paul is using this striking family imagery, I think, to show some more depth about this kind of relationship between him. It's the sort of language he uses at the start of the first letter that he writes to Timothy, where he calls him his true child in the faith. And I think that in this verse, there's three kind of dimensions of this relationship that he's pointing out. The first one is in this way that he serves like a son with a father. It's about what Timothy does. It's kind of the imagery of a son being trained up by his father in a trade for years and years with him. He truly does what Paul does because he has been with him side by side proclaiming Jesus. 
teaching people, discipling people, correcting people, establishing churches for years and years. He's learnt under him and continues after the kind of Jesus-shaped pattern that Paul has laid out. This means he has the same kind of mindset and the same desires and concerns. It's truly a deep relationship that shapes everything that Timothy does in his ministry. He follows after him like a son follows after his father. The second dimension is a loving commitment that he makes to him. It's a bit like a family business. Maybe some family businesses have been a little bit less reliable recently, but Paul and Timothy, they're in it for the long haul together and committed to serving together the Lord Jesus with his gospel. He's been faithful for years in doing this. He's not just some sort of outsider who will drop into the church one day and leave the next. They are family, and they're both serving the same master, Jesus. I think that's the last dimension that brings together. Paul could just say that Timothy is following him in a way that's like a kind of lord and servant sense, but he's emphasising in this last bit of the verse that he's working together for Jesus. This relationship means that it's not just Paul who's being recognised as the one doing the real work and Timothy's helping behind the scenes. Both of them are genuine co-servants of the Lord Jesus in the gospel. It's work that they do together. It's work that puts them as equal standing before God in the work of the gospel. So sending Timothy would encourage the church and Paul. He's genuinely concerned for him and there's no one really equal that Paul could send. These all seem like great reasons to send him. But then Paul turns it around in verses 23 and 4 and says that it's actually not the right time to send him. 23 says, I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Paul's committed to sending Timothy and he's coming himself as well. But for now, he needs Timothy with him. The same reasons that he's given that Timothy would be great amongst the church at Philippi are the reasons that ultimately he needs to stay with Paul now. Paul is going through this dark hour of suffering in chains and he needs Timothy with him until he sees how it will go with him. And again, it's a little bit unclear. We don't exactly know what he means, but I think he's talking about waiting for this trial that he seems to be about to have. Paul needs someone with the kind of bond that Timothy has to help him in this great time of need that he has. Now, it might seem a bit selfish, like he's keeping this really good guy all to himself, but I think Paul's demonstrated already his commitment to the church. In chapter 1, as Paul chooses life, as he knows that he'll endure, he says that because he sees his life continuing for the reason of the progress and joy of the Philippians. He's most concerned that Jesus is honoured and glorified, and so he knows that through their growth and through the continued work of the gospel in them, that he will be at work in, even if it's from far away, 
even if he does get to visit them. He's committed to seeing them grow in Jesus. There's nothing that he's holding back, but at this time, he needs Timothy with him to weather out the suffering he's going through now. Now, he's about to move on to talking about who he's sending instead, but I think it would be good to pause and look at the first three ways that this is actually relevant to us. It's a bit hard at first, you think, oh, he's just talking about Timothy. How is this relevant to any of us as we think about serving Jesus? But I think it's about the mindset that Timothy has, that Paul has for the church, that is still really true for us today as we think about following Jesus. Now, the first of these three from this section is that it's a gospel mindset that's pursuing mutual encouragement. Paul's concern for the joy and encouragement of the people is throughout the whole letter, and so it makes sense that it's going to show up in this section as well. But sometimes I think we actually struggle with giving people the reasons and the the information to be able to join us in joy and encouragement. None of us don't want to be encouraged, I think, unless we're a little bit odd, but we sometimes actually withhold from people the ability for them to actually hear of God's work in us and join in giving glory to him about what's happening. Um, I've noticed this with the missionary prayer updates I receive. I'm not sure if you guys receive any, but usually the last line or two in each of these emails is saying, look, I'd love to hear from you as the supporters of the work that's happening. Please drop a line please send what you'd love me to be praying for. But for some of the missionaries I've talked to, they don't actually receive very much from their supporters. And I think that comes from a couple of reasons. Um, People have heard that it can be a big burden on the work that they're doing, and so they don't want to overload them and distract them. Sometimes it can be from reading these updates and seeing the wonderful ways God is at work and then thinking, oh, why are they going to care that Um, I'm struggling with getting to church on a Sunday and I need prayer for that. just seems really insignificant. But these missionaries really mean it. Sometimes this happens in our community groups when someone shares something humongous that God has done and then suddenly you're thinking, oh, like nothing I could say would measure up to that. But it's the same deal We don't want to deprive others around us in the way that we share, in the way that we ask for prayer, in the way that we give thanks for what God is doing. We want to make sure that we're actually being people like this mindset of Paul in being concerned with mutual encouragement. That's between us here as individuals in church. That's with the missionaries we support. It's with other churches that we know and partner with. It's not just about us supporting others. There's great joy and encouragement from others being allowed to support us in what we're doing too. I think this first thing is that Paul's really concerned with this mutual encouragement and that's something we can learn from from this that he's talking about with Timothy too. The second is that A gospel mindset pursues Christ's concern for others. 
Paul's saying that seeing Jesus and his gospel clearly as what's most important is the key for our churches genuinely caring for one another. Real love and service towards other Christians isn't about trying harder. It's not just trying to find more ways to be able to love someone. It flows most naturally from us knowing our loving Jesus, knowing what he is interested in, knowing his desire for his church to know and love him and love each other. I'm sure, like me, you've encountered lots of examples of fake care that's made you suspicious of this sort of care for others or concern for others. Um, I've experienced times when people seem to be caring about what's going on for me, but they're just trying to get influence over me or they're trying to build up brownie points that I'm going to help them out later when they need help or they just want to feel valued or accepted or someone that's useful. Sometimes I've experienced care like this that's been more of an excuse for people to gossip or pass judgment on me with other people. It seems like they're caring, but it's actually a way to put me down with others. But I think all of us have done this to others as well. I'm a people person and I love spending time with people and hearing their stories and hearing how I can pray for them, but I have to keep checking myself because my own sinful nature is to want to be loved and accepted by others. And so I have to think, am I caring for this person because I love them because Christ loves them? Or am I caring for them just because I want their love for me? Our continued fight with sin makes genuine and unselfish concern with others feel impossible at times. But Paul is saying here that the way forward is looking to the mind of Jesus, of looking to him who laid down his life for the sake of his people, who went to death so that they would be saved and know him and be brought together. It's Jesus and his attitude that we're to look to, even as we struggle to do this well. And it's this attitude that would build up great love and care for one another in the church. It's not about trying harder. It's not about finding people who just love each other really well. It's about looking to Jesus and truly seeing what he wants as good and following on after him. The third gospel mindset that comes from this is seen in Timothy and Paul's relationship and a deep concern for discipleship. The kind of relationship that Paul and Timothy has is the sort that we need in all our churches. It comes out of a deep concern for modelling and training what it looks like to be godly men and women to other people. It looks like being committed to someone and showing them what this looks like for years and years together. It looks like not just seeing the other people around you as lesser, as lesser servants of Jesus, but as genuine co-workers together in the gospel that all need to be encouraged and equipped and trained by how God has equipped us to serve him for the rest of our lives. It'd be a really beautiful thing if I could look around the whole church and see each person and think, 
I know someone is deeply investing in and caring for them, is caring that they're knowing God better in, their, in his words, that they're caring that they're praying, that they're sharing their faith with others, that they want to see people, one for Jesus, in their family and at the workplace, that they're growing in their love for him. It's the sort of thing that we'd all, I think, love to have, but we're so busy. We think other people are not interested in receiving help, but it's the sort of thing that we can all be involved in. For churches to keep growing, for churches to endure in this kind of discipleship that we see here, we need these sorts of relationships to keep forming. I've been someone that's benefited from this for years with people meeting up with me, and even though I was pretty hopeless, and still am in a lot of ways, they were committed to sharing the truth of God's word with me week in and week out, of showing how ways of my life were just not fitting with being a Christian. And there's still so much of the way of that sort of thing that I need to grow in. It would be amazing if everyone in the church was receiving that sort of support and care for each other. And that's the sort of thing that we're all responsible for together. It's not the work that just one or two or three people can do. It's what everyone does in church here. So I think in this part of Timothy's discussion of him being sent and then not being sent, Paul's showing that gospel concerns are mindsets of mutual encouragement, of Christ's concern for others and deep discipleship that means that the churches are being encouraged inside and outside as they fellowship and work together with God's people. But now we'll get to Epaphroditus. And this section will be a bit shorter. If Paul's not sending Timothy, who is he going to send back? Well, it seems like he's sending back the person that the Philippians sent to him. In chapter 4, Paul says that Epaphroditus brought him gifts to help support him, probably financial gifts to help him get through while he's in chains. And instead of sending Timothy back like they might have hoped for, they're going to send Epaphroditus back. And the end of this chapter seems to indicate that Paul's a little bit worried that they're not going to receive him well, that they were hoping for Timothy and they got sent back Epaphroditus. Is this really what they want? They seem to be getting someone who might be a reject. So Paul's trying to make clear in this section that there are many reasons for them to honour Epaphroditus as a genuine follower of Jesus, as a genuine co-worker of someone who cares deeply for them and who is willing to suffer greatly for the gospel. So let's look at that first one in verse 25. I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. Epaphroditus has a different kind of relationship with Paul than Timothy does, but Paul's making it clear that He's not some sort of reject. He's not just calm and he's sending back because he is useless. He says Epaphroditus is his brother who's united in Christ and family together with him. He's a fellow worker of the gospel. He's a fellow soldier who's united in the fight and struggle for Christ's kingdom 
as the gospel goes out. There's the potential for the Philippians to think that he's just failed, that he's not being useful, that he hasn't done his job. But Paul's going, no, he's not sending him back as a reject. He's someone that is a true brother, a true useful and faithful servant of Jesus. Second reason, which I think mirrors the point he makes about Timothy, is that Epaphroditus has a genuine concern for his church. Verse 26 says that he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. He's distressed because the church back home seems to have heard that he's sick. And some authors try to make this out to be Paul saying that Epaphroditus is actually immature or foolish and being caught up in unhelpful emotions. But I can't really see how Paul could mean that. He hates to think about the worry he's causing them after they've heard that he's sick. He wants to know that they're okay, not out of selfishness, not out of immaturity, but out of concern for them. I think we're meant to see parallels, like I said, with Timothy. He is someone who genuinely cares for them, who cares enough about them that he would want to go back to make sure they know he's okay, not so that he feels better, but so that they would know that he is all good, that they would feel better themselves. That's another reason that he's worthy of respect and great welcome when he comes back. The final reason that Paul gives is that he has suffered greatly for the work of the gospel. Verse 27 to 30 say, Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honour such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. It turns out that the Philippians probably didn't even know just how sick he was. He was nearly dead. If they'd known this, they probably would have been even more concerned. It reminds me a bit of when I was asked to help out with a kids' club for another church, and I got there and it was going well for two days, and then I was stuck in my billet's house with a terrible flu for three days, and I was really worried that the billets were more concerned with me than the kids that we were meant to be doing ministry to. I was worried about the person I was meant to be co-leading a group with because they were all on their own. Um, I felt really useless. But rather than complaining about a situation like this, Paul is saying that this is something that should make them welcome him back with joy and honour because he has gone near to the point of death for the work of Christ. He's gone and shown care for Paul in a way that they couldn't at the distance they are. He's gone to the point of death to show kindness, to provide for Paul, to try his best to care for and support him. And by God's mercy, he is healed, and that's a mercy Paul feels in his own anxiety. And again, Paul seems concerned with both the church and him and Epaphroditus, that they would be less distressed if he goes back. But I think it all comes together to be really clear that Paul's trying to say 
don't think he's some sort of reject. Don't think that this is someone who's failed at his job. Epaphroditus is a man who's shown himself to be worthy of honour, a true brother and co-worker in the gospel, someone who really cares for his church and who's prepared to suffer greatly for the cause of the gospel. As, as we get towards the end today, I think there's two reasons, two more things that this section comes out with that show us more of this mindset that I was talking about before, of what it looks like for us to have the mind of Christ as we think about the gospel in our lives. The first one is that it shows that a gospel mindset pursues self-sacrificial service. There's two types of suffering in this passage. There's this great physical suffering that Epaphroditus goes through, but there's also this huge mental strain and Like I said, I don't think it's a sinful worry or concern. It comes out of deep love and care for the people back home. In Paul, it comes out of his concern for Epaphroditus. All throughout, there's this anguish and turmoil that comes out of deeply loving people and putting their needs above yours, not being sorry for themselves, but wishing that others would not be anxious themselves. Earlier in the letter, there's this theme of persecution and suffering that's happening as well. This is a great example that the Christian life looks like following after Jesus. It looks like denying self. It looks like considering yourself less than others. It looks like putting yourself in situations that are hard and are a struggle and that you might suffer through because you're convinced that it would be what God uses to be growing his church, to be giving honour and glory to Jesus. This is the kind of mindset that's really clear here and throughout the letter. It's a mindset of self-sacrificial service. Now, the second one that comes from this, it's the really big, clear command, is that a gospel mindset pursues the honour of faithful Christians. And I think this is something we're really bad at culturally. The Australian way to uh, get along with someone, to show you care about someone, is to bring them down to your level, to show that you're willing to talk them down, to joke about them. We find it really awkward to respond to praise, even as Christians, maybe especially as Christians, because we're really convinced that compared to God, we're nothing We're deeply sinful. We need his help. And so, so much of what we do is not really anything in comparison to him. We know our mixed motivations behind the scenes. When someone says, oh, you really helped and you're really caring, and yet, like before, you were actually a bit double-minded about it. And it's this kind of attitude about our own um, receiving gratitude ourselves that makes us sometimes hesitant to give honour to other people. But if we're stuck in this kind of mindset, we're devaluing the work of the Lord in the lives of each other and even in us. Paul's telling the church to honour people like Epaphroditus, to honour faithful Christians because they're not just good people. They're not people that have been just shown that they're particularly good at caring for people or anything like that. He's saying it's because they're displaying the mind of Christ in their motivations and in the work that they're doing for the gospel. 
think we still find this really hard to do. And so one way that I try to practice this is even just in my personal prayers in giving thanks for people and the way that God has been at work in them. I find as I do that personally, it makes it easier for me to say those same sorts of things in prayers with other people when they're around. It makes it easier for me to get used to saying that it's it's not some sort of awkward thing to praise God and honour people for how he's been at work in them. One of the really uh, lovely things uh, from this week for me was um, catching up with Neville on Tuesday. And Neville was telling me about how amazed he was as he was getting to know Joyce for the first time of how godly she was, of what a wonderful woman she was in pursuing the Lord Jesus. Joyce is someone who's for decades given herself in this sort of sacrificial way, in a way that's put others first in the life of the ministry here at the church for decades. She's the sort of person that it is great to give honour to on times like this Friday coming up. And it's not just because she was some sort of person who herself was really good. It's all because of Christ's work in her by his spirit, making her more and more like Jesus. We rejoice that she is with him now. But we also ought to be praising God for all the things that he has done through her and in her and the encouragement she's been to the church for many years. We ought to be praising God's work in Christians, of honouring them for the way that it's so clear that it's not themselves, but God at work, Christ's mind evident in all that they do. So as we've been going through this morning, I hope you've seen across all these ways that this hasn't just been a regular travel update This passage has been all about Paul showing through these guys and through his relationship with them and their relationship with the church more of what it looks like to live with the mind of Christ as Christians partnering together in the work of ministry in the church. It's a mindset that's pursuing the encouragement of others. It's mutual. It's a mindset that pursues Christ's concerns. That means pursuing his people in genuine care. It's a mindset that pursues deep discipleship, investing in people for the long haul so that they would be trained and modelled in what it looks like to live like Jesus. It's a mindset that means we're willing to be self-sacrificial, following after the Lord Jesus and those that have come before us in genuine love for others. It's a mindset that honours faithful Christians not because of who they are without Jesus, but because of all that God has been at work in them to proclaim him and glorify him. These are the sort of things that Paul is showing, I think, through this update. And I think it's something we should pray for, that God would grow in us and our mindset as his believers today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in the Lord Jesus we are united together 
as partners in the gospel, partners proclaiming the good news of him who came to save the lost. Lord, please grow in us more and more of the mind of Christ in the way that we relate with one another, in the way that we relate with churches around us and with other Christians that we meet. Lord, help all of us to grow in knowing the love and desires of Christ that means that we grow in love and desire for his people in supporting and encouraging them, of serving them as we serve together for the cause of the gospel. Lord, help all of us in this by your spirit. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.